Well, oh, maybe we should have some youngsters come up here, some good-looking youngsters come up here and help me out. I'll need one volunteer. Dandy's helping me out, too. She's grabbing something for me here. How's it going? The few but mighty, right? Huh? No? Yes? Sure. Okay. All right. Hey, Jude, how are you doing? Those are some pretty colorful snow boots you got there. Do they work? What are they supposed to do? Keep the snow out. Keep the water out. What happens when our feet get wet? They get cold, for one, right? They get stinky? Sticky. Well, mine gets stinky. Yeah, Dad says stinky. Yeah. I think I had one behind me there. <laughs> How's it going? Who likes stinky, wet, smelly feet? Nobody raised their hands. Okay, that's, that's why we wear them, right? You know, the Bible's kind of, kind of our protection, our nice snow boots. It helps us keep from having a stinky, nasty mind, right? And so it's good to be in the Bible. That wasn't my illustration. I think I have one coming. I don't know. It's still coming. How many of you like uh, cold drinks on a cold day? You do? Okay, I don't. I mean, I'll do it. All right, I figured I'd have some rebels. But you're young. You can drink cold things on a cold day, right? How many of you like hot drinks on a hot day? I do, because I like coffee. I like coffee anytime. Anybody like cold coffee? Who likes cold? You like cold coffee? Do you like lukewarm coffee? Just <laughs> depends on how much you need it. I need a volunteer. Anybody like coffee? You guys like coffee? Okay. Can brothers share a cup? It's up to them? Okay. All right. Depends on it. Come here. All right. So here's my hot coffee. You don't get to drink this. Feel that. Doesn't that feel nice to hold? Huh? A little bit burning. A little bit burning, but it's nice. It makes you warm and cozy, and then you can fall asleep while pastor's talking. Oh, yeah. All right, that's good stuff there. All right. Now this, is this hot? Does this feel hot? Does it feel cold? Does it feel cold? I don't know if it feels cold. Try it, check it out. Feels warm, kind of. Okay, you want to take a sip? Tell me what you think. That is, okay, it's, it's cold. Did it taste good? It tastes, okay. Whoa? It's cold? Okay, let's see. Yeah, it's cool. It's not cold. It's not, not ice cold. Here, I'm going to give you this. Yeah. Or I'm going to spill it. The idea, well, you can sit down, guys. It's lukewarm. We're going to talk about lukewarm. And Have you ever had anything that you've tasted and bleh? Can everybody go, bleh? Oh, come on. That's weak. Give us everybody a good, bleh. Come on. 
No? Okay, when I was a little kid, I was drinking milk. Somebody said something so funny, and I was still taking a drink, and I sprayed milk out both sides of the cup. It was at my aunt's house. That's the maddest I've seen her ever. I thought I was her favorite nephew, but not after that. All over, there were brand new curtains. I don't know if they were brand new. It was a brand new home they were living in. But just spraying it out. And Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, you know what? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're not hot. You're not hot, nor are you cold, but you're lukewarm. And really, we should have a view of mineral water. You guys ever drink mineral water? Ugh. It has to either be hot or really, really cold to drink, doesn't it? That stuff's pretty nasty. So Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. Now, we should be hot for Jesus. That is, we should be fervent. We should be on fire for the Lord Jesus. But they were just okay. How many of you think you're just okay? I'm all right where I am. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. They thought they were okay. And that's who we're going to talk about today, okay? We want to be people who know the word of God so we're protected, right? Protected from all the nastiness in the world. Know the word of God and obey it. Follow Jesus, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these youngsters. Pray that you'd guide them. Help them to understand um, what we talk about. Um, help them and all of us to apply your word to our life and uh, seek to follow you faithfully. Um, really excited to, to, to walk with you daily, Lord Jesus. Help us to be those excited people who aren't just passive about our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thanks for coming up. I was going to try to wake up the, every, all the adults, right? I thought maybe if I brought some cute kids up, we'd, we'd get it done maybe a little bit. But anyway, good morning again. How's it going? We have a few uh, extra folks in here now. I won't say your name online. Um, but uh, it's good to be here. I know it's really cold. We can get inside. It's nice and toasty, and we can fall asleep. So hopefully we'll all be awake. It's, I, I'm really excited about this message. I have a lot of notes. I'll try not to keep you here forever, though. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For your word. We thank you, Lord, for um, your letter to, to these seven uh, assemblies, these seven churches, through the messengers. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us see what's applicable to us today. Help us to, to heed the warnings. Help us to, to see the, the wonderful promises and the blessings. And help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only who delude themselves, as, as this church seemed to have deluded itself. Thank you for um, this opportunity again to, to look at it and talk about your word um, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, if you look at, if you got the bulletin or if you see up here on, on the screen, uh, I've entitled it the Good Old Church or Good Old Church right? 
And I probably need to explain myself because maybe you don't have the same uh, thought process about what a good old boy is. Because that's where I'm taking it from, a good old boy. And and today we're looking at one of the most well-known letters to the seven messengers to the seven assemblies. And many people are familiar with the spewing out of the lukewarm church and the verses about Jesus standing at the door knocking, waiting to come in to him. And so we're going to look at that passage today, but it reminds me about the statement about good old boys. They're just good old boys, right? And throughout the country, the statement probably means just a little bit different than it does in other areas. For me, when I think of the statement of a good old boy, I think about your good ranch hand who's worked hard all his life, or the farm hand, or the rancher, or the farmer who've worked really hard all their life. And they've just done the best that they can. They may have messed around when they were younger. They may still do some stuff that they shouldn't do. They may get drunk, or they may do that. They may swear a little. But they're really just good old boys. They don't do anything that bad. And they're going to make it. That is, make it to heaven because, really, they're good. They're good old boys, you know. They're good things. Their hard work outweighs their sin. And, and, you know, when I was in Dunning for several years and growing up in the area, I've just seen some funerals where they... uh, uh, a. um, theologically or gospel-gutted out and gutless church or pastor will stand up at a funeral and say, well, this guy, he, he worked hard and he was out there in God's creation and saw the sun up and the sun down and he's just a good old boy and he'll be in heaven. That was his cathedral. That was where he worshiped the Lord. Is that what the Bible says? Absolutely not. So today, let's not only look at the good old boys, but the good old church, like the good old boys, that is spiritually indifferent. And oftentimes, and you look at scripture, it's not the religious leaders that Jesus had to deal with. That I mean, it's not, it's not the, the, the sinners that Jesus was so concerned about, but it was the religious leaders that he had to deal with and argue with, and that he was the harshest with, who never got the picture, not most of them. And so the the real name of this church here is not just the good old church, but the, the lukewarm church. And the idea here for us, I believe, from this passage today is that the good old church must repent and become spirit-filled and spirit-led. And at some point, I need to come back and define a spirit-filled and spirit-led church. I hope you understand what that means. Walking with Jesus daily, following him, serving him, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. How we're going to say it today is the Christ-centered assembly. That is, if you are a spirit-filled, spirit-led church, debunks a good old church ideology. 
and a good old church mentality or a good old church the way they function and live. Debunk means to expose the falseness or hollowness of an idea or belief. And so today we're going to see how Jesus debunks a good old church. So let's observe what he says to the assembly in Laodicea. There are three key observations in this passage. Would you follow along as I read through it first? Here in verse 14 of chapter 3 in Revelation, Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. There you go, kids. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now that last little section, verses 20 through 22, some say, hey, that kind of concludes the whole thing. It's kind of a a sidebar. It doesn't really necessarily go with 14 through 19, but I would say it concludes it just like it does to the other churches. So it's a part of the letter to that church specifically, as well as generally all the churches would see what the other churches were commanded, were challenged with, were Uh, congratulated on. So I believe it goes with this passage to the Laodicean church. But there are three key observations that I'd like to make, uh, hopefully briefly this morning, okay? In verses 14 through 16, I believe we can make the observation that the good old church makes Jesus sick. Well, that's a nice way to put it, isn't it? He's going to spew them out of his mouth. He's going to vomit them up. Or for some, taking that drink, just spitting it out. But let's first look at, you know, every section, every letter deals with who Jesus is. And, and with each one, it's dealing with a problem that that church is facing, their, their failure, or something that they really need because maybe they're sliding doctrinally in their understanding of who Jesus is. Bad theology leads to bad thinking, which leads to bad living. Stinking thinking leads to stinking living, Right? And so as we back up and we look at this very beginning, again, and and I'll deal with 
to the angel or the messenger of the church of Laodicea write the amen. I'll deal with that first little section again here in a moment, I hope, if I don't forget. But the, the uh, amen. So Jesus is called the amen. And here it's important to see that he stands in stark contrast to the Laodicean hypocritical church as he is the faithfully true, genuine one. Now, genuine, I kind of get take from the, the Hebrew use a little bit of the word amen. Amen is a, a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word. It means in it, at its root, verity, and implies certainty. It can mean fixed, true, or unchangeable, as well as genuine. Here it means credibility, the certainty that all this person says, that is Jesus, will be accomplished. That is, he will fulfill what has been promised, and he will do as well, not only fulfill what he's promised, God's promise from beforehand, but he will do what he's about to tell them. There's credibility where the Laodiceans do not have credibility because they're not genuine believers. Jesus is a genuine Messiah fulfilling all of the promises. Goes on to say faithful and true witness. Jesus, Jesus' counsel, his command and promises should therefore be taken seriously. The beginning of creation of God. Here we look at this passing. It's, it's caused some, some frustration. The beginning of the creation of God. It's not saying that Jesus is the first one created. So there's some heresy that's been taken from this verse. They take it and say, well, he was created. No, nor was he, nor did he, was he born with a brother, Okay. So it is not saying Jesus was created. Some, some translations try to destroy that heresy by translating it a little bit differently. They're not wrong, but the word-for-word -word translations all are very similar, saying he, is, he uh, as mine says here in the NASB, the beginning of the creation of God. So like the NET says he is the originator of God's creation. And that is implied in the Greek when you look at this passage that he is the one that was involved in creation. He is the originator. The NLT says he is the beginning of God's new creation. Now we can see that contextually. We see that Jesus is going to make all things new. But really it, it speaks to more than that. He is the preeminent one. He was involved in creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. That's not what this is saying, but it has that general idea that he is the first. He is preeminent, and it is his creation. Without Jesus, we would have nothing. Then it goes on to verse 15. Now, that might be a little inadequate, but we got to move on. I know. So he says this, I know we see that elsewhere, don't we, in each of these letters. I know. Jesus knows. He's omniscient as well as he's personally present in the church's lives. 
but he knows their deeds. He stands as judge who sees past their facade to how they are putrid and tepid. All right, lukewarm. And so we see in this passage, when we go on to verse 15 and 16, this is the basis here for him to point out, hey, you guys need to wake up. You need to turn to me now. You need to buy what you need from me. So 15, 16, we see that Jesus will not tolerate the lukewarm assembly. First and foremost, he's not going to tolerate them. Because he knows their, de- their deeds. He, he knows that, that they really are not regenerate. That is, born again. I believe that's what we find in this passage. You are, here we see with the deeds, he knows their deeds. You are not saved by good works, are you? Right? They're not saved by their good works. But we are saved to do good works. There is fruit. And the fruit revealed from this church is that they're putrid. They're rotten from within. And so really, again, this is, I believe, an unregenerate church. Now, there could be people born again in the church, true believers in the church, but they're a church by name or assembly or Christians by name only. Do we see that today? And so we come back and we need to understand no one can deceive Jesus. We can be deceived. And so we can look at, again, some of those parables. Remember, we've referred to the parable of of the wheat and the tares. God's not tricked. He knows. Jesus knows. And so Jesus has disdain for these hypocritical people, just as he had disdain for the religious elites as we read through the Gospels, right? Jesus cannot stand those congregations or denominations that profess that they are Christian and they are not true believers. They are tepid, putrid, or lukewarm. They have uh, this name Christian, but there is no true gospel. There's no true gospel preached. There's no true gospel believed. They have the look, but they are not redeemed or regenerated. So we find in this passage, they are not hot. That is fervent in following Jesus, or they're not really fervent in following any religion. They are not cold. They are not persecutors of the church, nor are they atheists. They do not say, we will not believe. They say, yeah, I I believe. They don't say, no, we cannot trust in him. They don't have an outright hatred or saying, they do not say, we will never turn to Christ. They are not cold. They're right in the middle. They're passive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a good old boy. I'm just a good woman. We're just a good church. You know, that's the church, that church my, parent, my forefathers built, or my, my parents and my family, that's where we go. 
That's my church. Maybe they go Easter and Christmas, but they have no understanding of who Jesus is or their need for salvation. And like Western culture, it's, yeah, we're all Christian. We're, I mean, I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. I, I'm a Christian. No understanding of the gospel. And no real care to know the gospel. I, I'm fine where I am. This church had that mentality. They had avoided the extremes. And Jesus says, this is worst of all. You're neither hot, fervent, nor are you cold. So you will be vomited out. And I think it's important for us to back up, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier in some of the messages. This is a letter to the messenger or the angel who is to deliver the message or represents the church or leader of the church. Now, I believe there were many elders within each of these churches. And he may not have been the head pastor, but he was one of the lead representatives of the church who was taking the letter back. So to him, the you is singular, and the church as a group, the assembly, therefore, is under this singular, and throughout this passage, is singular. Okay? It's not you all, all through this. But it does encompass the whole church through the messenger or the angel of the church. That's addressed here. And so they're all going to be vomited out. The whole assembly will be spewed out. Laodicea, you know, if you've looked at this passage before, heard messages, I'm sure you've heard about the water system that they've had. It was kind of vulnerable. They had to pipe some water in from under the ground to get to the city. They had to pipe it in. Um, so they were, you know, they were a little ways from Ephesus that had really cold water that they could pipe in. But by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. Also, Herapolis had hot springs. And there was medicinal value to these hot springs. But by the time that water got to them, it was lukewarm, it was tepid, it was disgusting, it was gross. So they knew what lukewarm was. And so it is crucial to remember that the people Jesus contended with the most were the religious, or those who thought they were religious, who should have known who he was and should have believed but did not believe. Here they, they don't, here in this passage they don't fight Jesus like the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, but they agree with who he is and say they follow him, but they do not, nor have they truly turned to him, confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and believing upon him and being regenerated, made new, born again by the Holy Spirit. They make a profession with their mouth, and they truly had not believed. And so this makes Jesus sick because they're under the guise of a church. And where do we see that today? Yeah, we see that in the United States, don't we? We see it in Europe, but we really see it in, in all cultures throughout the world. Talking to missionaries, well, this church was established, but they don't preach the gospel. They're Christian by name, 
And so when we're reaching this unreached group, really, there was a work that started, but it never really finished, and they're devoid of the gospel. And so this church, and, and we do have a missionary right now that's had to change the, uh, the, the way that they're approaching ministry because of a church that is there that isn't preaching the gospel. They think they're okay, they're Christian, but they are not. And today we see a lot of battles because of that. And I do believe that there can be regenerated people within an unregenerated church, that assembly, and the, by and large that they, are gut, they have gutted out the gospel and they're really not preaching the gospel. I do believe there can be some believers within those ranks. But the church, by and large, the, the group together, the denomination is worthless and Jesus will deal with that denomination. He will deal with the pastors. He will deal with the teachers and the leaders. Woe unto those who are in charge who do not preach the gospel and who do not teach the word of God correctly. All right. I've spent a lot of time here. The second observation, I'd like to go on. The second observation is that the good old church must repent. Yeah, of course, that, that's obvious, Pastor Lee, isn't it? Yeah, look at 17 and 19. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, and you need of nothing, and you do not know, um, and you do not know you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I don't know if you can tell, but on my, we got a blindfolded guy. He has eye salve maybe on. I don't know if you can see that. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Repent. Repent from being tepidly ignorant. Kind of harsh words, isn't it? That's what he's saying. They think they know. They, they, they believe that they're rich. The, the assembly, they're, they're ignorant in verse 17. They think they're rich spiritually like they are materially. They're wealthy. Everything's going fine. There's no persecution. There's no problems. There's no difficulties. And yeah, we're Christians. We're doing okay. They think that they have all that they need, but they are unaware of how bad off they truly are. And then we, so let's look at these four descriptions, or look at those four last descriptions, right? Here in verse 17, you are wretched, miserable, oh, there's five, sorry, poor, (laughs) blind, and naked. And with that naked, there's some shame involved. You really, this is what you are. You do not know that you are this way. And so they're ignorant of their spiritual bankruptcy. Therefore, in verse 18, they're to repent from being spiritually frivolous. We would say frivolous because they're going out doing all this stuff, thinking they're doing all this, doing really well, 
and yet they're bankrupt. And because they think they can spend all that they can, because they are doing so well, they're very, very bankrupt. They're so blinded by how good they're doing in their minds that they don't need anything. I don't need nothing, right? They don't need Jesus, a true salvation. And so Jesus here in verse 18, he's saying, uh, you are bankrupt, you are impoverished, and therefore the whole assembly, you must look to Jesus and act. There's three action steps here from Jesus, right? So they're penniless because they have not truly believed. He says, buy from me refined gold, refined through fire, refined through discipline. They have none of that. So they're to buy from Jesus. And this, some say, is a picture of, of priceless riches of true salvation. And when we look at these, these letters to the seven churches, there's, there's imagery that they can pick up on and figure out. That's very applicable to them. They valued refined gold. They had refined gold. But not spiritually. They were broke. They needed it. White garments. A picture of righteousness throughout Scripture, isn't it? Laodicea was famed for their black wool, but, the, uh, but that uh, represents sin and filthiness, doesn't it? And so they were to buy white garments which symbolize righteous deeds that accompany genuine saving faith. And then we get to the eye salve. Why does he mention eye salve? Well, Laodicea had a school nearby known because of the waters close to Hierapolis. They had uh, a medical practices that they would use some of that water but they would also take some concoctions and make some things for healing and one of the things that they were proud of was eye salve to help people's eyes heal they thought that they they had what they needed but spiritually they needed to be healed from blindness and we get the good picture of the world is blinded today by their need for salvation they needed Jesus to open their spiritual eyes. They needed to, to, believe, to see and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Going on to verse 19. right? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. It's, it's a Philadelphia's word, brotherly love. A little bit different use of it. Some speculate, well, this is why we don't believe it is a re an unregenerate church. It was a regenerate church because does Jesus really love? Well, he does have compassion upon the masses. I don't think it's a strong enough case in the context to point out that this was a regenerated church, that it is a born-again, true, believing church. I think they were an unbelieving church. Because Jesus still loves the unbeliever, but he does discipline those, and we see it over and over and over again, those whom he loves, right? He does care about these people. He wants them to believe. He wants them to repent. He wants them to be zealous for good deeds, and therefore he challenges them. That's why they get this letter. No matter what you think in this passage, they are commanded to repent, whether you think they're a regenerated church or unregenerate. They need to become fervent 
for Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't give you the rest of the notes there. You know, when we look at the descriptions of this assembly, we can see the parallels today to the church by and large, right? And again, I don't think it's limited in the United States. This is a church gutted out of sound theology, specifically the gospel has been nullified. This is a church that has no relationship with Jesus. This is a church that is okay with the status quo. Are we there? Uh, So within this church, it is to the whole assembly. Within the assembly, who's there? The individuals, right? Who make up the church. And so when we go to the understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, also found in Ephesians, we see there's many gifts, one spirit, one body, one church. But there's many individuals within the church. And if the individuals within the church do not heed these words, the church, the assembly, cannot move forward. If a democracy is messed up theologically, if it's worshiping at the altar of secular humanism and and secular or um, if they're worshiping themselves, that democracy is going to go south, be destroyed very fast. The same way happens for the church. If we are not each walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, being filled by the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit, and using all the talents that he's given us, we are going to be a gutless church. So it does affect each individual. Each individual must take it to heart. Each individual needs to repent and believe in Jesus. Each individual, therefore, needs to believe that we are to obey what Jesus commands us to do. We are to act upon that. We are not to be passive. That's our application. First, make sure you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Secondly, if you believe, then you will obey. If you're not obeying, there's something wrong. Get it fixed. Third, Keep on keeping on. Follow him. Obey him. Keep serving him. Do not be passive. Because a Christ-centered assembly will destroy or debunks a good old church ideology or thinking. So let's finish with our third observation. If that's all right with everyone, nobody's going to raise their hand. Yeah, because I'm going to deal with you. Okay. All right. Just a few more minutes. But the third observation here in verse 20 and 22, through 22, Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. That anyone is singular, just like the you, okay? If you, the church, hey, messenger to the church, better deliver this, better make them listen up, because if all of you, that is you as an assembly, Hear my voice and opens the door. I will come into him. Yes, it's singular, and will and will dine with him, and he with me. So yes, again, as I was talking about the individuals of each church. Yes, 
Each individual needs to have that relationship with Jesus, but the church door, it's really not a heart door. <laughs> that's the picture we get, right? Because this is a great evangelistic verse, but really it's to a church. And yes, it's evangelistic, but it's more than that. It's a continual relationship. Notice the dining with, the sup, the, great, the straight across uh, translation would be sup with me, okay? Therefore, we get into the supper or dinner argument. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> I digress. But here, they need to have this clarity that they need to open the door of relationship with Jesus as a church. Bring the gospel in. Bring Jesus in. Bring the healing in. There will be no healing if there's no gospel. There will be no Lord Jesus in your life if there is no gospel. And so they were to bring, they were to open the door and let Jesus come in and invade their life, invade their space. Relationship is work, isn't it? Right? I have a hard time canceling work. For me, to cancel church is canceling work, so it's hard for me. So I try to let the, the elders lead on that. Because I feel pretty useless if I don't work. Anybody there? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm to work. I mean, I do my fun things too. But a part of our work is a relationship with others, especially within the church body. And if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, which can be hard work, because then you have to prior prioritize him as first, if we don't do that, then we cannot progress as a body of believers, as an assembly, as a church. So we have to prioritize a relationship with Jesus, prioritize what's valuable. Verse 21, what's valuable? Someday we'll rule with him. Jesus is our king, he is our ruler, he overcame, he conquered the grave, and then he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming back someday, and he will have a physical throne here on this earth, I believe, in the millennial reign of Christ, and you know who's going to rule, rule with him? Not the lukewarm church, but a church that's opened the door. Not, a, not someone who says, oh, I believe and has never believed. The person who has truly opened the door and believed in Jesus. So it's a continued relationship. Opening the door means opening the door and having eternity Eternal, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, what is valuable? Jesus, he's valuable. He has all the power, he has all the authority, he is king. And so we need to make sure that we prioritize what is most important. And the church there had not done it. They had put other things first. Status in the community, being a part of their culture without making waves, not making people feel bad because, you know, they're a good old boy who's done okay all their life. They don't need to feel guilty about never turning to Jesus, and certainly they don't need to make it a priority to put Jesus first and therefore a group of believers as important because... Manual labor, is more, that work's more important than a relationship work, to do the work of a relationship. And that's where I struggle, I do. I felt pretty convicted this week. 
Because I got to thinking, you know, we need to make sure as men that we are putting our families first before work. Why Jesus, our wives, our families, then work. But then the Lord convicted me, Lee, are you? Because it's really hard to have a relationship with my wife and my family because that's real hard work. I'll go do the manual labor. I'll go do my book studies in my office and not talk to anybody all day, right? But my relationship with my wife and my daughters and then everybody else, that's the work I don't really care for. Well, I do care. I love them. I do. I love them. But it's easy, you know, to sit there even in the vehicle. I can drive down the road with my own thoughts all day long. I do get lonely. So that's not totally true. But anyway, um, it is hard work to invest in the relationships, right? Young married couples, older married couples, it is work, isn't it? Are you a man who works hard? Are you a woman who works hard? Work hard on those relationships. But at the top, what is it? Jesus, that relationship with Jesus. Okay. And therefore, we need to respond to this warning, verse 22, again. Listen up. Don't just be hearers of the word only, so deluding yourselves. Do what it says. That is implied in this last verse, 22. Let's pray. Lord, I can look around at, at certain individuals that I've had conversations with who said, yeah, I believe, and I don't see anything in their life and be very judgmental towards them. And I can be judgmental towards other denominations. And by and large, the church in the United States that's kind of been gutted out at times. I pray there's a revival. I see sparks. But Lord, help me and help each one of us to evaluate our own relationship with you and to see if we are actually um, hot or fervent to have a relationship with you. Help us to prioritize our lives right and not just in our mind, but actually do the hard work that, that you ask us to do. Thank you, Lord, for your grace towards me and that it's not by the merits of my activity but it's by my faith and it's by our faith in you that saves us. And you will work in us and through us to do what you want us to do, to make us who you want us to be. So thank you, Lord. It is not by our strength, but yours. But help us to do the committed task of walking with you daily. Help us to see where we fail. Help us uh, when we wake up early or can't sleep late at night or in the middle of the night to see, hey, this is a moment I can spend with you, some time that I can spend with you. And during the day, Lord, bring, Lord, wake us up and bring our thoughts to you. And also help us to see where we can enrich the relationships with others. Lord, if there's anyone here, anyone that's listening who has never truly believed, who has never um, had genuine faith in you, Lord Jesus, that you would convict them now and that they would turn to you. Thank you that you continue to work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have any youngsters that come take up this morning's offering? Let's see if my coffee is lukewarm yet.